Our first scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews. It could be found on page 1862 of your Pew Bible. Let us listen for a word from God. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir to all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he has provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited, inherited is superior to theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Amen. We are grateful to all of the ringers in our chancel bell choir and for the ways that they help to lead us and strengthen us in worship this day. I think one of the favorite things I'm enjoying about this newly renovated sanctuary space are the acoustics and the way that the sound carries so fresh and so beautiful. As I mentioned to the children, we are finishing a sermon series on this Sunday, one that we have been on for the last six weeks. We've been calling it Back to School, the idea being that this is the time of year each year when many of our younger students and older students alike head back to the classroom. And often one of the first things that a student needs when they come back after those summer months is a little refresher on some of the lessons that may have lapsed over the summertime. And so too it is for our faith. From time to time there is moments where it's helpful for all of us to have a refresher both in mind and in spirit, on the faces and the stories that form the very foundation of our faith. And so we have traveled these last six weeks through stories from both the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures, beginning with Moses on to the prophets and King David, turning to the New Testament we visited with the disciples and last week with Paul. This week we turn then to the natural ending because it is, of course, the beginning of all of our faiths. We turn to the person of Jesus Christ. We turn to Jesus through the lens of verses from Paul's letter to the church in Rome, verses that my friend and former teacher in seminary, the late Dr. David Bartlett, once described as a ringing affirmation of God's goodness to us in Jesus Christ. They are verses that come from Romans chapter 8, beginning with the 31st verse. Let us listen now once more for a word from God. Paul writes to the church saying, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. For Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What friends, or who rather, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul concludes, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer?
Good and gracious God, send your spirit now that it would stir the waters of our hearts. Indeed, O God, send your spirit that it would take your word from long ago and speak a word for the living of these days. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So did anyone else watch the SpaceX launch on Wednesday night? Yeah, a few hands maybe. It was called the Inspiration 4. It sent four basically regular people, amateur astronauts, if you will, strapped them to a rocket and sent them into space. There was a professor and a nurse and a businessman and I think an engineer maybe, orbited the earth for three days. They came back last night around dinner time. I'd been told before that if the conditions were right, conditions not like today but clear skies, you could sometimes see those rockets that launch from Cape Canaveral, what, 200 miles away from us. You could see them from St. Simon's as they streak north along the shoreline. So Aaron and the boys and I, we went out about 8 o'clock right after sundown and we sat on the stoop at the end of the front path to our house and we watched the live stream of the launch on my phone and then we watched in the general direction of where we guessed you might see a rocket going by. We watched for a minute and then two minutes and it was probably around the three-minute mark that we started to pack up. We started to say our goodbyes to our neighbors who had unwittingly joined us in this expedition because they were putting their trash out, I think. But then, just then, one of them saw something, and they said, there it is. Now, I've never seen a space shuttle launch or a rocket launch, and maybe if that is something that you have had an opportunity to see on other occasions. This is kind of old hat to you, but to me, for someone who had never seen this before, I mean, it was riveting. I couldn't peel my eyes away. It's kind of hard to describe what it even looked like because unless you knew you were looking for a rocket, I don't think you would necessarily know what you were looking at in the sky on Wednesday night. It was almost like this mini northern lights, like a mini aurora borealis, right? It was this like green spray that was just shooting across the sky. I mean, it was truly awe-inspiring. I sat there peeled at this sight, thinking to myself, there are four people, four human beings, flesh and blood, just like you and me, impossibly high, going impossibly fast, going somewhere that hardly any other human being in all of time has ever been or will ever go themselves. At the risk of over-romanticizing this whole thing, it was almost like you were watching earth and heaven meet. 
You know, as I read these verses from Romans, it seems to me that Paul, Paul has almost the same sense about himself whenever he is writing or talking about Jesus Christ. Right? The language here is transcendent almost. It's, it's otherworldly. It's, it's awe-inspired. It's almost as if Paul has his pen on paper, but his eyes pointed toward the heavens. Right here he is telling the church, the church, telling them that God has, has done something remarkable in Jesus Christ. But not only that, in Jesus' resurrection, Paul is saying, God is still doing something remarkable in all of our lives. And not only that, one day in Jesus, God will come and do something remarkable again. Right? In Jesus, in other words, Paul seems to be saying, heaven and earth have met. And nothing has been, nothing is, and nothing ever will be the same again. But Paul's also a realist. Paul knows what we know, right? That you can't just go around life just looking up at the sky. Right? Paul knows that at some point our eyes, they have to literally fall back down to earth. Wednesday night, that inspiration for rocket eventually faded into the darkness of the skies. And our eyes literally fell back down to earth. And it was back to reality. Right, it was back to counting how many bug bites you had got in the last 10 minutes. It was back to bracing ourselves for those little bedtime routine battles that often come with two little boys. It was back to reality. Right? Paul knows that the reality is that our daily lives are sometimes more bug bite than aurora borealis. Paul uses words that, that resonate with us, right? He says there is a lot of what? Trouble and persecution and hardship and famine and danger and violence. Right? Paul's saying, listen, I know that the daily reality is one, especially in these days, that is full of, of uncertainty and worry and war and tiredness. I mean, Paul even quotes scripture here, that little pericope right in the middle. It's actually Psalm 44, if you go look it up, that he's quoting where, where the psalmist writes, we face death all day long. We are like what? Sheep being led to slaughter. Paul lifts up the lament that so many of us know in our day-to-day -day lives that surely our world knows, but, but Paul is clever. Because I think Paul also knows in quoting Psalm 44 what comes after those verses. You see, the psalmist laments those things. We face death. We're like sheep led to slaughter. But then the psalmist turns to a plea to God, a plea to come and help. If you read on in Psalm 44, the psalmist says, Awake, Lord, rouse yourself, rise up and help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. Paul is clever. 
Paul cites Psalm 44 because the point he's trying to make is that God's answer to that plea comes in Jesus Christ. God's answer to our daily reality and to the lament that sometimes fills it is Jesus Christ. And I think I've told the story once before about Carl Sagan, that great astrophysicist and writer and author of the 20th century. One of Sagan's last acts as an employee of NASA was to convince his higher-ups to turn the camera around on the Voyager 1 spacecraft, still somewhere out there going, just going. So he spent 10 years trying to convince NASA to send a signal to Voyager 1 to turn its camera around so that it could take a picture looking back in the direction from whence it had come. And finally, in 1989, the administrator of NASA signed off and they sent a signal to Voyager and it took a picture and it beamed it back to Earth. And the picture is amazing. On the right side of this picture is the sun. And then for about 80% on the left side of the sun's 20%, the other 80% of the photo is just sheer darkness. It's like 650,000 pixels, I think, which today is probably, I don't know, our iPhone photo or something. But what Sagan noted in this photo is that if you looked closely, there is a fraction of one pixel that contains this, this tiny speck, what Sagan would later term the pale blue dot, which is us, home, earth. A pale blue dot suspended in a sunbeam. Sagan would write, later write a book about this photo and in it, he, he has these words that have always stuck with me. He says, you know, I'm always amazed that people of faith look at this picture and are often threatened by it. They say, no, 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 my, my God can't, no. My God is, is here on earth. My God is, is small. I, I don't want my God to be anything else. Second says, it's always amazed me because when I look at that picture, I think to myself, people of faith should be thinking, wow, God is so much bigger than anything I ever imagined before. God is grander than, than the prophets made God out to be. God is more beautiful and intricate than anything I would have ever imagined otherwise. In this strange way, I've always felt like Paul and Carl Sagan are kindred spirits. Because what Paul is trying to get across in these verses about Jesus is to open all of our eyes and our hearts to the reality that the God we meet in Jesus Christ is so big that nothing and no one can separate us 
from God. Neither angels nor demons, he writes, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation, get this, not even death can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. See, this is why I think it's so important that we go back to school on all of the faces and the events we have touched on over these last six weeks, but particularly why we go back to school on Jesus. Because what Jesus reveals to us is the heart of God. And what is at the heart of our Creator is love. Love so big that not even a cross can kill it. Not even a tomb can contain it. Not even the heaviest stone can hold it in. Not then, not now, not ever. Right? What Paul is trying to get across to us is that in Jesus Christ we learn that God conquers our hearts and our minds, not through the powers of this world that we are so accustomed to, not through the power of the sword or the power of money or fame or fancy job titles or Facebook likes or TikTok views, whatever the young folks are doing these days. No, God conquers through something More than that, God conquers through love. And like the quote on the back of our bulletin puts it, God conquers through a love that is like a strip of tangled duct tape that cannot ever be pulled apart. So friends, when the bell rings and class is dismissed, And we head out into the world and to everything beyond these walls. My hope and my prayer is that the ones we encounter out there as well as in here will know that we are followers of Jesus. We are followers of the one in whom heaven and earth first and finally met. My hope and prayer, in other words, is is that, that those we encounter would know that we are Christians by our love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.